good. All right, welcome to the Studio Corner podcast. John, is it Locks? Is yeah, it Locks. John Locks. Hard X. What is that? What is that? It's German. It's German? Yeah. You don't look German at all. Oh, yeah. I mean, my mom was born in Mexico, but my, my father's Eastern. I'm a Euro mutt. Wow. I'm just an American mutt. <laughs> I like it. I like it. How are you, man? I'm good. It's, uh, it's really exciting for me to have you on here. Cool. Because, <laughs> I, I mean, it's funny because I met you in the shop. Yeah. And you were like, you were the guy, like I became, you became the guy that I needed to talk to because no one else was as thorough and as knowledgeable as you. Thanks. And then little by little, I found out more about you. I'm like, holy crap, this guy is, you know, legendary guitar player. Like he, she shreds <laughs> like all this cool stuff. And it, it's just, it's so funny how many different people come through that shop, whether they're working or buying or just this little like tiny building that has such a huge community. Those of you listening, we're talking about instrumental music on Thousand Oaks Boulevard. Uh, has been brought up a lot on the show. It's a great store. <laughs> it's a little community, yeah. but uh, it's so cool to finally have you on here. Thank you. Yeah, I, uh, I'm stoked. Very, very stoked. So before we get into all the all the fun stuff, I I don't know if I've had a lot of I I, I do know I haven't had a lot of guitar players, especially ones that have been in successful bands or been successful at guitar playing. Okay. And I I every time I do I like to ask them why were you drawn to guitar in the first place? Huh. Um, my dad was into jazz fusion, so I was like, yes, and King Crimson, and Mahavishnu oh, yeah. Orchestra. So he he always thought that shit was badass. Excuse my English, but <laughs> you know he had a, he had a he had a guitar lying around the house, and I always saw it, you know. And he didn't play too much, but I was always really interested in it. So I started taking guitar lessons, and my guitar teachers were old shredders, you know. Oh, is that so? Is that how you got <laughs> into the metal thing? Uh, yeah, intentionally or not, yeah. <laughs> they always just had cool pointy guitars, you know, and. I was like, what's that? And it was a Paul Gilbert tape. He's like, oh, that guy's bad. I'm like, why do you have it if it's bad? He's like, no, it's badass. I'm like, oh, okay. I'll check it out. <laughs> I love Paul Gilbert. And, uh, you know, I guess when I was pretty young, like in middle school, like I was a pretty awkward kid. Didn't really communicate well. Only had a couple of friends. So I just loved music. I turned to music and I was in love with it. And I just wanted to replicate everything I heard. That's awesome. Yeah. And I just kept playing and I felt like I could com com communicate better, you know, with an instrument. I love so. I feel like that's such a common story, too. You know, especially in those years when, like, we're going through all that weird shit that's yeah. happening. And, you know, communication becomes a new thing. And, I mean, I, I love hearing that people found music, found a way to communicate with the music. Mm -hmm. um, so the metal thing, you think it was because your teachers or do you think that, I mean, what were you drawn to that? So, well, when I first started listening to stuff, like, on my own, I got into, like, uh, my first CD was, like, an Aquabat CD. It was a ska band. You know, and then I got into Nirvana and, and I got into The Cure. But then when I was like 13 or 14, I heard Tornado of Souls by Megadeth. Oh, man. And I was like, that, that, that's so cool, you know? And like, uh, that's why I played a Jackson Kelly, you know? And, and I just kind of fell down a rabbit hole of metal. And a lot of musicians, at least in our generation, if you talk to them, they started off with like metal or hardcore. Yeah. Because when you're 15 and you have a lot of... Angst. Yeah. You know, like that's like, that's the best release for it. I could not agree more. Yeah. So that was the initial attraction. I love that. It's funny because, I mean... I probably said this a thousand times in my life because I've had to explain to people like they're like, how can you listen to such angry music? I'm like, well, I wouldn't. Well, one, I wouldn't say it's angry. Two, it's not that it makes me, you know, angry. What it does, it like takes the burden of what I'm feeling. As a release. Yeah, it's like um, that can be angry or frustrated or upset for me. I mean, most of the sweetest people you'll talk to probably listen to metal or something. Or you know, a, a, oh yeah, metalheads are usually pretty passive, relaxed yeah. people. <laughs> uh, it's because they get to get that stuff out, you know? Yeah. And I, th I think the music's like, it's not super direct. It doesn't talk about like relationships or like day-to-day -day stuff. It's like absurd, you know, like yeah. dragons and chasms and yeah. lizards. 
it's cool. Yeah. And even when it gets like, even if it is straight up, it's like embedded in such a heavy riff or such heavy music. That's like, it never really hits you to the point where like, I'm sitting here thinking about something, someone specific. It kind of takes you somewhere else, at least yeah. for me. Well, there's a release and there's a joy in that. You yeah, know? absolutely. So. That's too cool. I love that. <laughs> um, so with metal guitar, now I, I play all kinds of different guitars. Same, yeah. Uh, yeah as I, you do. I, yeah, I grew out of that. <laughs> um, but the, I mean, I've when I do play metal guitar, it's funny, like, it's the most natural movement for my hands. It's like, <laughs> it's just natural. Like, it feels good. I like playing it. But on the other side of that spectrum, it's also the hardest for me to, like, uh, harness. You know, to say, like, this is what, it means to be a metal guitar player. These are the thing, components that go into playing guitar fast and heavy and, you know, writing riffs like that. Give me an acoustic guitar, I can write songs all day, Yeah. you know, without that thought. So for you, if there was like a list or like, if you had like a student and they asked like, hey, I'm not even metal, but I want to learn to play heavy guitars. I want to be kind of get that driving factor. What are the things that make that kind of guitar playing? Um. You kind of you kind of touch on all that. It's uh, it's really rhythmic, it's really kind of percussive, and it's kind of technical. Like you you have to work on physical chops. Where there's like you know an acoustic guitar, or kind of most kinds of rock and pop, you could kind of just strum the chords or like let the chords hang out. Yeah. Metal, it's all about like dun dun dun. You know, like you're playing with the time. Yeah. And I remember sitting there with a the metronome, just going through eighths, sixteenths, you know, and just weaving through all these different kind of patterns. And that that's really the core of it, just playing patterns, patterns with your fingers slow and then you, you know you have to progress to playing it faster so were there like were there specific uh because i know like when i when i was coming up there was there was this like pull off thing that my teacher taught me that always that got me to learn to play fast with my left hand legato it was well it's just like you know playing basically play the whole scale but like pulling off and like yeah that's legato the, yeah you know, all this stuff but and that helped me gain speed and all the muscle and that was like a specific thing or like groups of four yeah. like natural minors yeah. like but then you have to lock it to this hand yeah, so then it was like, for you, was there like a specific thing that you, that like kind of took you to that next level? Uh, there was a, there was a software called Guitar Pro. Okay. And it was, uh, <laughs> it was awesome. It, it, you know, it had the guitar in a piano roll and you could download all these songs and it showed you like all the notes and because tabs aren't in time and most guitar players don't start reading sheet music. I didn't do that till later, you know. <laughs> it's just not a thing anymore. <laughs> yeah, there's a joke that loop players used to read tab two actually, so... <laughs> Since, you know, the dawn of time, guitar players have been reading tab. <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, but it was great software because I could slow the, the parts of music down. Or I could look up all these songs, you know. I'm like, what's that crazy part? And I could just go on the internet, put it in my computer, and see it on the screen and make it play like at half the speed. Really? And I would just sit there and I would just work at all these parts. And it was it was stuff like Death and Children of Bodom. You know, I like all, death, by the way, yeah, yeah, total, just like old school classic right there. <laughs> but I, it was like I was like, you know, I was like seeing the the source code or something. I was seeing all the notes and how the guitar harmonies would line up. You oh, know, so it, like it would it would put all the tablature. <clears throat> it would put the tablature, but it would play it through MIDI. It sounded like it was an old video game. Oh my goodness! You know, that's but it, so it was cool. the guitar lines, the bass lines, and even the drum patterns. And I could see how it all linked up together. And then I could open up my own thing and try to make my own song. You know, and like. I kind of learned the language and yeah. I was able to like look closely at these songs and take them apart and play with them. That's so interesting. The fact that like they have all the layers too, cause it like kind of allows you to see what you're jamming with. Yeah. Cause I feel like the, the hardest thing about learning a cover song or copying someone is trying to translate it into yourself, feeling it 
Like, it's like, yeah, I can learn that riff, but can I play it like that? Yeah. It's like, imagine if I had the whole band playing with you, or like, I understood where everyone was saying, like, when the drummer hits this, I know this note comes in. Like, there's such, there's such a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, a synergy of everything going on. Yeah. You know, so I, that's so cool. Yeah. I've not heard about this. <laughs> <laughs> a big part of learning is like learning how to emulate. I mean, that's where you start. Now, I've heard people with like a different attitude, like the guy from Extreme, Nuno Betancourt. Dude, you know, I love a, Nuno. <laughs> he was like, you know, I, I didn't want to bother. I just, I just did it on my own. I just used my ear and listened to it and picked apart the notes. And that totally makes sense too. But in a way, he's, he was learning how to deconstruct it, you yeah. know, and put it in his own voice. So yeah, yeah, I think that's a good place to start. That's that's rad. Yeah, I love Nuno. I saw Generation X when they were in town. Cool. That was out of control. Sick, sick. <laughs> that was like the most like. It was a lot. <laughs> it was a lot. <laughs> He's it was, amazing. It was cool. Yeah, I love yeah. him. Yeah, great, great, uh, great thing they're doing. Um, anyway, <laughs> so moving forward, I want to, uh, if it's cool with you, I'd actually really curious to know a little bit about starting. Warbringer sure and like and not just like oh the famous band you know because Warbringer is badass I mean I was funny I was listening to the first album for like the last week oh I can't stand that record really yeah. why don't you like that record <laughs> um that was the first thing we wrote we were like 16 or 17 when we wrote a lot of those songs that's why it was so like it was it had yeah, to feel we, that we went in the studio and we didn't have a lot of experience yet you know um like this the record we did after we did a year of touring we were like I felt like we were a legitimate band at that point but the first record I, I know people love it you know it, it's a good album yeah man. yeah I, I know i know but it's just if it's hard for me because i know i could have done better you know yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of things we didn't know that we had to learn and that you know we had to make those mistakes in the studio the first time around yeah and then i'm like then i learned how, like i can't just trust the producer i have to look out yeah i have to know you know i have to pay attention to what's happening that is such an important statement that is a huge <laughs> statement though because i mean even even the top pros like we bring on producers to make it good. Like, oh, I wrote the song, I did my part, producer does the rest. Like, that can't be the case. Like, you can't yeah. let, the, like, the musician, the writer, no matter who you are, like, you have to know, at least to some extent, you have to feel kind of what you want. You have to be able to communicate that somehow because it's literally like, I'm trying to think of a good analogy. Like, imagine, like, you give someone a blue sheet. Like, I like this blue sheet. Let's let's make it shiny. And they come back to you with, like, a purple sheet. It's like, you need to make it shiny. You just made it purple. Yeah. You know, it's like that's that's what happens when you just let someone else. It's, it, such a, it's a different process. Playing in the band is one thing, and then you know, putting it to tape, committing it. It's yeah, a diff- it's a different thing. You know, is that guitar tone really working? You know, are these parts actually working? Yeah. When you sit there and listen to whatever is playing, yeah. That's interesting. I mean, asking that these parts, like, especially especially with Warbringer, because it's so riff driven. Like, there's, there's just you guys just have badass riff after badass riff. Like, that's it's a lot of decision making. I imagine when it comes to the songwriting to you know make sure that this riff sounds different than that one doesn't sound too much like that song you know how many metal bands have made that mistake right um but like the mentality to approach it especially as a guitar player and i i can feel that one um to go in the studio and say hey this riff doesn't work like that's swallowing pride i think in my you know yeah but you know it's about the song you so know? I, is that something that you had to learn over time, like to realize yeah, it's about I mean, the song? I, you know, I would have these cool solos or these cool riffs, but maybe they just were distracting. Or and what, What's the singer going to do? Because that's what people are looking for is the hooks and the vocals. That's what makes it catchy, you know? So like if I'm doing too much or if I'm not giving them a good hook, yeah. you know, it's it, the song's going to fall flat on its face because it's all about like creating these memorable moments. Yeah. Whether it's a little guitar line or a vocal hook, but you need to make sure that those things, that's kind of the center of it. Well, see, it, it, when you, you say it, it sounds so logical, and I agree with you. Like, it's, it's very, but it's very much, it is about the whole piece. It's about the song. It's about getting all those, you know, great parts. Everything to work together. Yeah, we um, had a, 
we had a drummer that was like amazing, but he kept trying to throw these like fancy uh, Mashuga Herda beats into this one part. Mashuga. But, you know, and he, he did it before that Mashuga released Bleed and he's bragging about it. But in that riff, in that context, it didn't work. And it always drove me crazy. Yeah. You know, because like the part was just supposed to be like really heavy, really straightforward. Yeah. It didn't need these little. But he wanted it in there. Yeah. See, that's what I mean. Like you're getting past that as musicians, especially in a band environment, in a recording environment. Because like, hey, like you, I liked what, like what you said, committing it. That's such a great way, way yeah. to describe that. I love. It. I'm gonna use that from now on. <laughs> committing the music, like it's, yeah. it's that's really badass. Um, but like when you're like you want to have every moment is like, okay, what's the best way to do this? Like, how do I make this powerful when it's like, it doesn't need to have that mentality. You know, like how many ripping solos can I have? It's like Kirk Hammett with a wah pedal. Like stop pressing the wah pedal. You know, it's not every solo doesn't need that. It works out. It works out. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, cause that's, that's, uh, that's a hard lesson to learn. I mean, do you have, I mean, I imagine after the first record you learned a lot about that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a push and a pull and it's, it's fun to work with other people. Um, you know, I wrote a lot of the material, but I never would finish a song by myself. I, I would always like to take the riffs in and see what the drummer would do. Maybe he had something that I didn't have in mind. Or, you know, or maybe the singer had an idea, you know, and I'd sit there and just let him hum it out, what he was thinking. Because nice. when you have everyone working together and they all feel like they're invested in the project, you're going to get a better project. Mm. And, you know, we also had like, a, because we did so much touring, we always had different musicians coming in and out of the band. And I'd always try to incorporate them into the writing. So when they were on stage, they felt like they owned the material because they would perform better. They'd be happier. The whole thing would be better if you, and it's hard because you have to, there's a lot of give and take. You have to be able to listen, you know, people are going to disagree with you. you. You might not get your way, but like in the end with everyone fighting, they all want the best for it. Yeah. And that's kind of. Well, it sounds like you kind of took like this uh, almost father figure role of like, you know, inviting, <laughs> I mean, it, for lack of a better phrase. I mean, um, someone had to figure it out. <laughs> well, it's a thing. <laughs> and, and it's one, it's impressive that you can, you know, rise to the occasion to say, Hey, it's about the song. It's about, you know, you believe that if everyone has their investment in the song, it'll be performed better and delivered better, which I agree with. I think that's awesome, but you can't, you know, you also can't deny at the end of that. Some people just don't have it. Don't necessarily have a lot to give or to contribute. So I imagine as musicians came and went, like there was times that you had trouble getting them to be involved or like, you know, giving your best, but they were, you know, throwing total crap your way. Like, how did you deal with that? Well, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, you, you look for people's strengths. Everyone has strengths. No one's good at everything. Mm -hmm. um, and I just tried to find their strengths. We wouldn't, by the time the second record came around, we weren't dealing with bad musicians. I, I got to work with some amazing musicians and it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it doesn't really work in your situation because you had the best coming well, through. I, well, I guess, I mean, now I play in bands with my friends and, you know, they might be deficient in some things, but some of them, but they, the same thing, they have strengths, yeah. you know, everyone has strengths and sometimes you have to nurse it and sometimes it takes a couple of years and it's so fun to watch people grow, yeah. you know, it, you know, it takes time to get anywhere with music it's such a rare personality for a guitar player too <laughs> you know we're like infamous for being cocky assholes you know we're infamous for being <laughs> oh we want everything to be our way which i don't i don't think it's the i don't think it's true i think it's just a stereotype that goes along with it but it's so cool to hear you speak about it this way to be so inviting and nurturing of the creativity of what they you know because that's what's missing i think that's what's missing in so many things you know i talked about this with uh kurt Piscara. we were talking about like He's why sick. yeah i, love I told Kurt. you i think he's sick um I was, we were talking about it about the idea like no one really jams together anymore and it's, just, it's such a it's like we're starving of musicians because everyone's hiding in their rooms recording their own stuff and like not bothering playing with other people yeah. and missing out on this idea that if you nurture that if you do collaborate if you you realize like, I mean, it's like it's like holding a, a heavy boulder 
it's going to be really hard to hold it by yourself. But if you let three people join in, you could probably move that boulder. Yeah. And that's a big skill though. That's a skill you have to develop playing with other people, learning how to listen to other people, learning how to be flexible with what you're playing to, to lock in with what someone else is playing. Yeah. Well, also, I th like what you said, how you, you, wrote, you would like write a riff and bring it to see what they would do with it. Yeah. You know, almost open-ended writing. Yeah. Yeah, because I knew what I wanted, but I wanted to see what would happen. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm not, I'm not an insane drummer. You know, what do you yeah. got, you know? <laughs> well, it's also, it's such a trust factor, too, because, like, you know, do I trust this person to take what I've put my heart and soul into? But, but we did, though, because we, we, we worked pretty hard at it, you know? Yeah. Do you ever find yourself nowadays working with other people where like you kind of hesitate like do I trust this person to work on what I'm reading? I don't, I don't waste or, my time with that. You don't waste your time with that? Damn, <laughs> I like it. I like where your head's at. This is good. This is good. This is like straight up. I, lo I love that it's so natural for you though. I love that. That's uh, it's, that's a, it's, it's funny as some people just have the ability to do something that's so hard to do naturally. You know? That's what I love. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's great. So. Let's get back to work. Oh, yeah. I, I, I want to. I'm. I'm. I'm very curious as to, uh, like I want to talk about like your mindset, your drive, your why, why you started Warbring. Like what? What was? What was that whole process? What like got there? Um, like how to start a band successfully. I guess is what we could call that. Okay. Yeah, I, I can handle this. <laughs> I can handle this. Uh, well, I started making friends in high school, and uh, the kind of music we wanted to play, like thrash metal, in the early 2000s, wasn't popular. Um, metal was pretty commercial, uh, and we, we, we wanted to play old school metal. Um, and when we started out, we, I think we wanted to do power metal, but nice. the guy we had singing couldn't do that, you yeah. know? So like, let's see what creator does. Let's just bark it out, scream it out like Slayer or something. But it worked. It sounded cool. Yeah. Uh, and it was, it was hard cause you know, we had, a, the band was friends and we would go to shows and meet other people in the area. You know, we had someone that drove two hours out to play with us because wow. it, was, it was hard to find people that were even willing to do that. Um, but you know, like being able to do it was a, even, like another thing entirely. So it was just kind of fun at first. And then, uh, you, you have to be able to network. You have to go out and talk to other people, talk to other bands. And so we started looking at LA and there's people from all over LA County. And there's like, a couple other bands that were doing the same thing that we were like playing eighties thrash metal. And so we made friends with them. We started networking with them and the band started growing and you know, we, we just did every show we could. And, uh, and the show started getting pretty big and it was it was just like 16 year old kids doing these shows and we were playing the whiskey and we sold all the whiskey oh wow i don't dude. think any i don't think anyone anyone was older than 21 22 Holy crap. in any of those bands so it was kind of a cool time uh and i, I guess you could say there was a little luck involved like uh some you know some some people came out some record execs came out to check out these shows because they had a soft spot for that kind of music we all have a yeah have a little bit of a soft but, spot for you know, old school they stuff. were happy to hear some old school metal again <laughs> yeah you know? and um we were kind of fortunate. We got kind of in like a, a bidding war between a couple record labels. Really? So we were able to negotiate a, a pretty decent contract. Nice. And now, how old were you? Sixteen? Uh, I was probably seventeen or eighteen. That okay. that happened in my last year of high school. Wow. So it it was pretty crazy. But we worked really hard at it. You know, like we'd practice like religiously every week. Um, we'd we'd pay money to go to these studios and try to record demos and EPs and. You know, we, we try to do the whole thing by ourselves. And I think that's something that it's really important that people understand that. Like, just because you write a cool song, you're not going to get picked up by a label. It's, it's not going to go anywhere if you don't promote it or, yeah. or you know, make it look, make it like a good package. Today, it's totally different. Today, like, you need to put up, like, a YouTube video or put up, like, Spotify, you know. Yeah. It, it's changed, but it's the same idea of, like... Well, it's also, like, I mean, because it's so easy to put it up, like, 
the more crap like people it's it is everyone's putting it out there like people are if they have that many options they're not going to listen to something that doesn't sound good quality oh it has to look interesting well it's a thing it's like i mean and it's it, that's kind of like a burden like oh everyone's trying super hard to stand out that they're actually producing not great things sometimes it's just like trying to be different yeah but there's also the factor of like you know what if you do work as hard as you did if you do you know I guess the packaging is a sense of like, what's my artwork like? And did I record it properly? Did I mix it well? Did I have, does it sound good? Like, can you hear the difference in my record compared to the other person that's releasing their music? Mm -hmm. You know, not that comparing's everything, but like, there's so many songs. I, I can go on Spotify. I can go on like TuneCore or DistroKid on any one of these things and just post anything I want. Like I could literally hit a, hit a drum for like an hour and I, <laughs> I could post that. Yeah, that would be about. available. Yeah. It, like, it is so, available. It's already available. Yeah. So that's the thing. It's like because that exists, you know, it's it is a huge factor. Packaging is more than just hey, look at my album cover or my my CD. It's more than just like I post on social media. It's like, what does this all mean? And well, how that's does it come that's together? why you have to network. You have to communicate. You have to go out there and talk to people and play shows and make yourself visible. Yeah. Um, and and that and and when you make yourself visible, like doors will start opening. Interesting. Make you know, yourself visible. You have to, yeah. I think that's the. The takeaway. Do you think that applies still today? Yeah, absolutely. The it's the same thing. It's it's like it's not about who you know. It's like it's like making yourself visible that someone you want to know, you know, would make themselves available to you to talk to you. Like that's how you get those doors open in the first place is because you put yourself out there. And like I, I've come this far on my own, and, and you know someone would see that and like oh maybe I should help this kid out. Yeah. Maybe there's something here. He's got the drive to to go somewhere with this, so we should pay attention to him. Interesting. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I was uh, I was talking to a woman named Susan Markheim. She's uh, she very high up at Geffen Records. And years ago, she's a friend of my mother's. And so I just kind of had that nice little in. Uh, we were talking, and she made a comment. She's like, "These days," and this was a few years ago, so I'm sure it's a little different now. It's even harder. But she said, "These days, labels or people that you might want to know, <clears throat> they won't even look at you if you don't have a certain amount of followers. Yeah. If you don't have a certain amount of like, hey, they've put." this much into building themselves yeah but that, that, that whole thing's a mess right now because oh, of course of course because w when we were coming up it was myspace fans oh man MySpace. But, th th but that was the metric of how successful an independent band was was how many followers they had on myspace and, and now it eventually became like youtube streams you yeah. know or, or like it's it's it, the whole all the metrics are a mess and now there's all these different platforms for listening to music yeah. and it's really hard to gauge what impact or reach a band actually has anymore like the era that we were coming up was like when cds were still a metric yeah but i mean i, I just saw them tanking year after year you know well it was interesting because the point was like you know like what you're saying that you said that you see this kid they put so much work into it they they're obviously not helpless yeah. You know, and that's like the most recognizable factor. Even like even as a musician to musician, like you always recognize when someone is really putting the work into it rather than just like I have talent, I'm just kind of waiting around. Yeah, but if you can't why would you put any time into a, you know, a, a project or a group that can't even you know, hold it together. Push it together by themselves. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a that's a big part of it. Honestly, like I think like um communication in a business sense is more important than talent <laughs> and yeah. in some cases as far as you know some of those bands are concerned that get popular or famous it, that, that has a lot to do with it absolutely i mean what are we doing we're communicating right yeah we're, we're playing music we're literally communicating with other people like we need to be able to do that yeah and uh and it's a little absurd i think it's a little absurd when we think that we can just play our music and then go into the dark like our music says enough like the music's supposed to be like the the almost like the victory victory lap like we you know it's a great thing to share but if you can't be a person if you can't like especially with social media and stuff like if we can't relate to you not even on a sense of like oh we got like the same things but if i can't look at you like oh that's a person sharing something 
then I'm not, you know, it's kind of hard to be like, oh, they did that music, but who's doing that? Yeah. Because that matters now. Yeah. And we were, we were so excited about what we were doing, though. I mean, like. And you can feel that. Yeah, it was so much fun to play. And then the shows were electric, you know, and it, it was a lot of fun. So. That's rad. Yeah. I love that. It's uh, damn so young, too. Yeah. I didn't yeah. realize you guys were that young. We were. Um, and I got out of high school and I did my first tour and that was like a trial by fire. Our first tour was almost a disaster. I, I, I almost thought it would break up the band uh, just because uh, we're touring like, you know, the East Coast in the middle of winter. The band had like no AC. Oh, my God. Yeah. And we were on the road with some pretty hard hitting bands. It was like Exodus and Arsis. And it was pretty cool. But um, we didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> We'd go out and eat at like a Denny's every night with uh, the money we made from selling T-shirts or the guarantee from the show. We weren't budgeting ourselves, and when we came off that tour, we were like forty grand in debt. Holy crap! And the van was broken because we destroyed it. <laughs> oh my! How so? You guys, what? Eighteen? Yeah. So um, that makes sense. <laughs> well, it was like, well, well, fuck. You know, what are we gonna do? Um, but we, we 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 were lucky that we had a really good manager, and he was the president of a record label, Century Media. His name's Marco Barbieri. Wow. Um, and he really believed in us, and he thought there was something to us. So um, when we hit the next tour, um, we hired a tour manager, <laughs> and uh, you know we got a lockbox, and I, me and one other guy were the only ones that knew the password to the lockbox. <laughs> Not to say anyone was stealing, but we needed to. You know, Make sure it stayed there. we had to treat it like a business and, you know, it, it, we had to account, you know, and we started keeping track of what we made and the, the t-shirt sales. Wow. And we came off of that and we paid off the debt, you know, and we were, we were back. <laughs> That's crazy. What a wild ride. Yeah. Yeah. It was you pretty crazy. I, you know, that like, it sounds <laughs> that you guys messed up, but like shit, 18 year olds, you guys are only 40,000 in debt touring that big. That's props to you. You guys came back from that. Like. That's that's impressive. Well, yeah, it, it's mind blowing how much money went through, and how much money kept going through because <laughs> we weren't making anything. Yeah, <laughs> but we were able to stay afloat. We were able to keep on rolling, keep playing your music. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Damn, man, you just went straight from high school to the road. I mean, missed out on a lot of like you learned. You it's kind of like those those like uh, adulting years from like eighteen to twenty one, where you're like. If you, well, if you don't go to college, of course, like you have, there's always that, there's a window of like, all right, now I make my schedule. And like, you guys had to like learn that on the road. It's that's, that's metal. <laughs> that's yeah. what that is. That's metal. Is it? I mean, talking about growing up fast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To be responsible. It, it, yeah. Being like a, it's not a party or a, it's not an easy gig. No. Yeah. You have, you have to work. You're always working. Yeah. Like uh, what's that movie? Uh, Almost Famous. Oh, that's a great movie. I love one of my favorite musicians is in that movie. Uh, He's Mark Kozelik from Sunkill Moan. It's like a, it's like really soft acoustic guitar music. Yeah. Super sad, but yeah, that, that movie is one of my favorites of all time. It's a great movie, but it's, I'd love it. Cause like it totally makes the rock star life seem all glamorous. And then it totally just takes this deep, dark turn. Like, wait a minute. That's been going on the whole time. We just didn't notice it. I, you know, I think I forget the way it all ends up, but I, I, I did enjoy it. Yeah. Well, I, well, that's why I love it so much because it's like it's it's very much like oh man, these rock stars are so big, and it's this little kid you know trying to write a, a story about them, and it's just this beautiful journey of like we believe them to be these gods and like party all the time and just live such a great life, and then as the movie goes on, you get little hints of like what's actually going on, what they're actually going through. By the end of it, you're just like I hate these guys, like they're just such scumbags, and then it's still you kind of step it step you step back. You remember that scene where like um, the kid and the guitar player are in, the, in his room together? It's been a minute. But anyway, it, it's it's. It's such a such a great movie for that sense because it totally it totally shows you like wait a minute not that that's exactly what it's like but it's the idea well, of 
I mean, I agree with what you're saying. I, um, a lot of the bands we ended up touring with were my heroes when I was a kid. Oh, and I got to see them really like close and personally. And some of them were amazing people. Yeah. And some of them I couldn't care to think of again for the rest of my life. <laughs> well, well do, you, do you remember who was that you met and you're like, wow, these are awesome people? I mean, was there like... Yeah, I mean, uh, so the first tour was really tough, but that band Exodus, they knew that we were kids and instead of ignoring us, they, they kind of helped us out a lot. Like, this is how you do this. You know, they took us on our, under their wings and they didn't have to. Wow. But, you know, they kind of helped keep us together and keep us driven, you Good know? For them. Yeah, and that, that was a really like gracious thing of them to do. Honestly, just, just you know, walking up to us and seeing if we were fed, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Did someone feed the kids. <laughs> yeah. But you know, it was, it was, it was, it was like a community cause you, you go out there for five or six weeks and you know, um, a, a tour, it was like, a, these, they were always packaged tours. There'd be like four or five bands and then there'd be like a big crew, you know, run, you know, all the roadies, all the sound guys, yeah. the drivers, front of house. Um, and you really get close to these people and you really get to know them and you really depend on each other to get through it because it's trying to do all that traveling and all that driving and no one's really sleeping a lot. Yeah. And, and, and I think we were talking about this a little bit before I got here, but you know, you walk up to a show and you see the band on stage for like an hour rocking out and having the time of their life. But the other 23 hours is complete. It's, it's a, it's a nightmare, you know, like breaking down or just jumping in a van or a bus traveling. Maybe you don't even get to sleep, you know, maybe you have to get on a plane and fly to another show or something. Yeah. Um, uh, you and know, still show up for the so, show and be, you know, the rock star. Yeah, but that that network of people is really important. Wow. Yeah, that's that's incredible. I love that. That's uh, I hear that a lot these days from uh, people that have been on the road. They they make very very big point as to share how important everybody is to make it happen. Absolutely. Yeah. And not just to be like the person like, oh, everyone matters. Like, yes, but like they really make an emphasis like what you just did talking about. This is a community. We are doing this just because we're on stage, you know, like without all this. Yeah, the show couldn't happen, but we also wouldn't be alive. Like we wouldn't be people at the end of the day. We wouldn't have normal emotions. We wouldn't. We'd just be like zombies after all this. So. Yeah. And that's that's almost the same skill that we were talking about earlier is communication. Yeah. Making yourself available and being able to talk to people. Wow. Yeah. That's a. Uh... I think it's a thing. It's a very hard thing to do for for a lot of us. I mean, not yeah. <laughs> you, well, you. I mean, not that it's not, but you're you just have such. You have a very big heart. As as in the years that I've I've gotten to know you, yes, we're gonna get a little cheesy. The years that I've gotten to know you, have a very very big heart, and you're very uh, passionate about everything you speak about, everything you share, which makes it easier to connect. <laughs> you know, some people are just like so exhausted and so this and that they they can't even tap into those things. So to be able to tap into that side of yourself is is a skill. Hundred percent. I appreciate that, man. Rock and roll. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, with all, I mean, with all this chaos going on, was there like a moment that you look back and like that was the success? Like as a band, as a guitar player, as a kid that was a fan of all these people, like because we all have like you know like we are idols and that's success, right? You know, that's the successful rock stars, and you know, here you are going through this journey. Was there that pinnacle point where like I'm successful? or I've made it within that sense? Uh, no, because I don't think that's why I did it. Um, I, I did it because I loved doing it, and I loved playing, and I had something that I wanted to share or say or do, and that's what drove me to do it. Yeah. The happiest I was was always when we got out of the studio, when we finished a record, because it, it, it took so much to get there. Yeah. Like, you know, like a, a year of touring, and then you come off the road, and, and you have to write these songs and like uh, you know i was telling you like there was one time where we only had two months to write a record and so we were in the studio every day and then we were in the studio for two weeks and then we came out with it was like i was so proud of it because we worked so hard yeah you know and it was 
it's fucking badass i was really proud of it um and that was just that, it was like i felt like i accomplished something like because if i die and disappear you know at least the, these songs there's like a record of these songs there's a record of this moment or this idea and that's like encapsulated for the rest of time you know and that that's like, so important i could breathe because yeah because when you write all these songs and you don't record them or you don't have a way to save them you're always worried like i think this might you know flutter off or forget it you know, <laughs> what happens well because i mean think about it when you were growing up you know holding that album you know being able to put that cd in or whatever you know whatever device or technology you had at it's the time, magical man like when you hear that track it's like you're there yeah i mean oh i mean i have the chills just thinking about well, when, it. when i look at some of these classic records you have on your wall you know that's back when you bought cds i remember when i bought it remember how i was feeling like that day i remember how i felt when i put it on for the first time yeah or the first time i heard one of the you know the bangers you know yeah absolutely. yeah it's, you, you create like really big memories and and it's like and then all of a sudden you get to a place where like i can do that you know at least we live in we live in a technological age where we can do that yeah it's exciting it's incredible yeah that's yeah it's not talked about enough you know yeah it's really not talked about enough but that's that's why you know i think people get into doing creative stuff is because they have a they have a taste for it yeah they know what they like and you can't know. help it. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. We just totally brush over how incredible being able to record and share music is distributed at that level, <laughs> you know, let people have that feeling. Cause you never know. Like, you know, I, I, I won't name names, but a friend of mine is a songwriter once asked me, he's like, I don't know if I want to continue to do this. I think I might just want to work and help other artists, you know, with songwriting I was like you can do both he's like no I don't know if I want to continue to write my music I don't know if it's worth me going through all this trouble and this struggle to release my music and I'm like why and he goes off about you know well I'm not made it I'm not successful you know all those generic answers yeah. and it's funny as the more we talked I kind of realized like you know one song one I mean you can record music there may be someone out there listening to it that it's changing their life like the story of Sugar Man you know do you know that story oh that's a great film I mean like that's, that's an amazing that's, film that's the that's the yeah. that's a perfect example like that could happen not for the sake of your success but for the sake of people getting through something people feeling that feeling when you fell hurled well, that and, and he saw it through he made those records yeah i think he made two records or something he made the first record and they dropped him yeah but the, the record made its way to south africa or something and it was, yeah it was like some tourist found it took it back i think it was like a girl and she showed her boyfriend then showed her friends it like inspired a revolution it was, yeah it was a music for revolution and they're beautiful songs and there's a lot of and that's the kind of music i'm into i'm always digging through old weird stuff yeah because <laughs> there's just so much amazing stuff out there to find um and then you kind of touched on something that I, I kind of want to talk about because um, one of the drummers in my bands, he's a great drummer. He did a podcast and he was talking about creative depression. Um, you know, creative and, depression, and that's wow. being like unsatisfied with where you are artistically or where your art is. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I, I, that, that makes sense to me, but I think you have to set goals for yourself and not like a goal. Like I want to be in a big rock band or something, but something that you reach like, but by, by the end of the month, I want to finish a new song, hmm. you know, by the end of the week, I want to like, uh, finish another new song. Maybe like by the end of the month, I'll have like a, a little EP that I could put out. You set goals that you could reach that you can meet so that you, you, you are making progress because it, it's really easy to like, just feel like you're not getting anywhere or you're running your wheels in the sand. So let me ask you something on that. Cause I, I, I like that. I like the idea of reasonable goals. Cause yeah. we, we're, we're so quick to set these huge goals. Like I can set it this far away in the future. So it's realistic. And but it's like, so easy to be overwhelmed. Like yeah. it doesn't change. You can set it tomorrow or 10 years from now and it's still going to be just as big and overwhelmed. Yeah. Right. It's not going to change. You're just giving yourself more time to be anxious. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I feel like even, even the reasonable ones, like say like today is what, what we'll say today's Monday. 
Yeah. Yeah. Today's Monday. Say by Sunday, I say, okay, I want to record the guitar tracks for one song. That's a that's a very that's a reasonable goal by the yeah. end of the week. Very reasonable goal. Yeah. However, you get busy, you're doing stuff. One day goes by, I forgot to do guitar tracks. I'll do it. Okay, I have another five days. Goes by, goes by, and you realize that you have had the time. And you never sat down to do it. And then Sunday comes around, you didn't reach that goal. And then you have this meltdown. <laughs> so, and like, yes, in hindsight, you should have just made a schedule. You should have been much more organized. You should have just done the damn guitar <laughs> tracks. Like, but the point is you're there now and you're feeling that and you're getting even more discouraged. Do you have, what? I mean, what's your opinion on coming out of that? Like getting re, <laughs> re-encouraged. Um, I, I don't know. I just want to segue because what you're talking about is procrastination. It's almost like as animals, humans aren't really made for this world that we built for ourselves. <laughs> That's great. Because <laughs> we're That's also, awesome. everyone's a procrastinator. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe when you realize that you didn't do what you said you wanted to do, that's the moment where you're just like, fuck it, I'm going to go up there. I'm going to sit, sit down right now and I'm going to do it. Yeah. You know? And But maybe sometimes you aren't feeling inspired. And I think it's it's important to recognize that. Like, I don't always, every day, every week, try to make music. Um mm. Because I think if you try to force it all the time, you'll get you'll get burnt out on that too. Um, it's a good exercise though, because every time I sit down and I feel like I, I tell myself I'm gonna make something, I'll make something, and I'll so maybe I'll get interested in it and I can't stop, and I'll save all night until I'm done with it, or maybe I'll forget about it, and never look at it again. That's fine, but you know, it's just being able to start that process. Huh. So just 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 pull up the chair, you know, and get behind your drum set, pick up your guitar, turn on your computer, whatever it is, however it is you create art, yeah. not even music. Just, just be able, you know, just get there. That's interesting. So maybe it's not even reasonable goals. Maybe it's goals that you set creative goals that have open ends to them. Like don't set a goal like I'm going to record guitar tracks. Set a goal like I'm going to record something. Well, if that's your problem, it depends on how much trouble you have procrastinating, you know? Well, yeah, absolutely. Procrastination <laughs> is a huge factor. Huge, huge factor. But I, I, understand, I understand. I understand. Yeah. I, I think you need to create, uh, you know, you need to give yourself deadlines. You know, that's how we created that record I was really proud of. We had two months to record it. Yeah. You know? And then we had two weeks to finish it. So I mean that 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 put a fire under my ass. I don't know that I'd ever want to do that again. But it was it was its own experience. But it it, sure. it, 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 uh, it would have never have happened otherwise and I'm really proud of it. So it, sometimes it's good to put yourself in these little Yeah. Give your you know, give yourself in this, something to shoot forward. Deadlines, yeah. Yeah. It's incredible how much we will distract ourselves. But yeah, creative depression, that's such an interesting uh I've never heard that word before, and these guys were talking about it. Yes, this is the first yeah. time I've heard it. When you said it earlier, I was like, wow, I've never actually thought about, I mean, creative anxiety, that's tossed around like, you know, everything. You know, I have anxiety for this and this and that, which makes sense, but that could also be boiled down to a certain amount of procrastination as well. But de- creative depression seems very it's like It's like not seeing what your, your work go as far as you want it to do, or it doesn't do what you want it to do. You have to ask yourself why. Isn't it going where I want it to go? Yeah. Is it not very good? That's probably not the case, you know? Or also like where to, what the destination you wanted to go is that really something that you want you know is that really something that yeah is supposed to happen? maybe yeah yeah it's kind of a balance of maybe your yeah I understand what you're saying yeah well I, I like you were talking about earlier the idea that you know you continuously work on something like you know to you you put all this heart and so like so many of us we put so much of our time and effort into something and according to our own energy exerted it's worth something now because we gave so much to it yeah thinking like why isn't it why isn't everyone else like why isn't it becoming something of worth when in reality like just because we put this much time doesn't mean it's there yet like do more do it again Uh, that's the other part of it is that you have to finish 
And you can't just do one thing and say, there, I did it. You have to do it again and again and again because you're going to get better and better and better. Yeah. You know? And there's, there's just no, there's no, it's like shortcut to that too. No, you have to, you have to work. You have to put time into just it. Continuously like bang. But you have to wall. finish yeah. what you start though. I think that's the most important thing. You have like to finish that. what you start. I like that. Yeah. Especially creatively. Yeah. Like, even if you're not going to do anything, even if you don't like it at the end of the day, even if it's just something you're going to put aside, just it was for you, yeah. like follow through. Well, it's an exercise. And if you never actually finish anything, how are you going to expect yourself to finish something two weeks on the, you know? That's, yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> once again, one of those things that's so obvious, but like, yeah, when's the last time you had someone tell you that? <laughs> yeah. Totally, I get That's awesome. Yeah. I like that. You have a very healthy mindset for <clears throat> the creative world. I like it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I hope there's a lot of people listening to this and like understanding and being able to look at these flaws because we all have them. I mean, we're all we're creatives. We all have this stuff. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm far from perfect. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it's great. So outside of you know, outside of being a guitar player, whether it was in Warbringer or now in your life, like out in the creative world, outside of being a guitar player, and I feel like you've touched on it a lot already. You know, what were your roles? Well, in your opinion, what was your role? you know, in the band, uh, starting the band, writing music, you know, cause you're the guitar player. We get that. But what was your role as a person? Oh, I mean, I, I guess I had to take on leadership roles and that's just trying to find people's strengths, um, and, and trying to like utilize them and, and setting goals for the, the whole group or the whole, you know, again, that, that's something I had to do. Um, I mean, at, at one point I, I had to manage the money on a day-to-day -day basis on the road and keeping content contact with the managers and the label and, <laughs> or even the merchandising companies or shipping companies, you know, it, it was, there was a lot more to it than just playing in a rock band. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, even like, like on stage, for example, like were you the showman? Were oh you yeah, I went guy? nuts. I lost myself. I love that. That's yeah. the thing I miss the most about playing metal. Uh, just lose it. I felt like a different person. That's oh, so great. I love metal. <laughs> it was fun. I mean, especially like guitar players know that just that, that chugga 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 it just yeah. feels just feels so good it feels yeah. right i probably showed off more than i should <laughs> i'd right. always pick up my guitar by the way bar and throw it over my head and i had to oh. change my strings every night or i'd break them because i'd always jesus <laughs> i you love it. hardcore i love yeah. it yeah I we went that. yeah the band was a high energy band <laughs> yeah i mean i, I can't imagine warbringer being low energy on stage. <laughs> just standing there doo -doo 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 -doo. oh yeah i have a word a high t high to test high testosterone it's a high T music. High T music. And I joke, but now I'm playing low T music. Low T. Yeah. <laughs> Hi-fi and lo-fi, but now it's testosterone based. It's, it's, it's more relaxing. It's easier to do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so growth wise, you know, as, as the years went on, being in the band, leaving the band, like all that stuff, where did you see the most growth as a guitar player and as a person? Oh, yeah. After the band, because um, that's one of the reasons I left the band is because I got tired like we, we would tour 10 months out of the year and i did that for like seven years and, and, you know or, or and then we'd be home and then i had to write a record and i had like maybe four months to write a record and then um i had two injuries so i would go i went in for like surgery and i'm like writing the record on the computer and then as soon as i recover i'm in the studio like you know like putting holes in my stomach with all the aspirin i'm taking tracking the thing jesus so yeah you know it's starting to kill me and, and, and i knew and i knew that if we stuck with it if i stuck with it I'd be making more money or the band would be more successful. That's just, that's granted, but I didn't think I'd be happy, Yeah, you know, you know, and, um, and I didn't feel like I got, you know, it was right out of high school. I didn't feel like I got to live or do a lot of the other things that I might've been interested in. Yeah. I didn't even know what I would be interested in. So yeah, I made the decision to leave the band and, um, how old were you when you left? Uh, probably 26, Wow. 27. 
That's that's a lot of years dedicated to that. It was. I I, I put everything into it. Um, wow. And I just decided it wasn't what I wanted to do anymore. Um, and and I'll tell you though, in the time since, I've never been happier because because I've been able to do different things. Like as soon as I left the band, I, I like um, I bought a mandolin. I started taking mandolin lessons. It was a completely different instrument. Yeah. You know, or I, I developed like an interest in jazz. So I started learning like different styles of guitar playing. Uh, like you know, I was able to like try doing different kinds of music. Um, and I just felt more fulfilled, I guess. So was it was it difficult to adjust to a new lifestyle after the band? Were you or did you have trouble going from like on the road ah, to just No, I mean I love traveling. I love feeling like I was a part of a, a fucking circus, but it was nice to have some stability. Uh, everyone wants that. Yeah, of yeah. course, absolutely. Yeah. I just was there like a I mean I guess you were so used to like so constantly seeing and playing shows all the time. It's was there like a, a crash internally of like going from playing shows all the time to just kind of uh, out. I mean I was sick of it so it was pretty easy just to be like you're ready to you're ready to put it behind you yeah interesting <laughs> well I, I think I mean that once again is is really impressive to me to to be 26 and to have basically been doing what I mean we all think we want to do when we're teenagers right yeah you know it's been doing it and to have a band knowingly knowing that it can become successful knowing it can give us up but being able to recognize your person getting lost your your you know happiness slightly diminishing and recognizing that is is, yeah. is really impressive and yeah. to be able to make the actual decision to do it oh well, i looked at, i looked at all my heroes you know i like looked at what their maybe their marriages were like what their lives were like and they all seem to have like a dependency or a problem or you know, and, I, and that's not true for every musician, but um, in this metal world, like the way it worked was you're just, you make money on the road. You're constantly on the road. You're constantly working. That's how you do it. And if you love and if you believe in what you're doing, don't stop, Yeah. you know? But um, I guess I started to second guess myself and that was more than enough for me to say, I'm, I'm out of here. So, so did, this, did the second guessing come from the fact that there was a lot of other stuff that came along with the band that was overwhelming and like hurting you or was it just no, the music itself it's just like you know if I, if I walk away from this now will I ever get back into it again you know and and I was okay with that interesting but I'm still playing music now though I didn't stop playing music I didn't stop writing yeah and like I was course. trying to say I've learned more I've like opened you know I've, I've gotten to so many more things it's been as, as a person I feel more enriched and a lot happier with what I'm doing now than what I was doing then yeah and that's more important than playing for like a few thousand people or whatever it doesn't matter absolutely I love that. I think that's yeah. so great. That's so so great. And that, that's what that's how the band started. We were doing it for ourselves. We, we were just trying to make ourselves happy. Like, wouldn't it be cool if we could put a CD together like our heroes? You know, or you know, it's it's always how we've operated. Just want to share what you want to share. I, I want to be excited about what I'm doing. Yeah. You know, I want to do something that I like. Yeah, makes me happier. Fulfill some desire I have. Some creative itch. Hell yeah, dude. Yeah. I, well, I mean, because to boil, I mean, if we would boil it down to a very simple form, like being excited about something means that you're probably going to want to share it. And music is very much a shared thing. Like I created this, listen to it, share it you know, And if you can keep that, if you can come from that place, it's probably going to be the most genuine. It's going to yeah, reach. I want to get turned on about, you know, I do stuff that turns me on, I guess that's, that's what I'm interested in making. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So out of curiosity, cause the, I feel like this, this is maybe, maybe it's not, but I, 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 I've, I've been very curious right after Warbringer, you walk out on this, you, you move on, you go to, you basically start i get a uh, job at a guitar shop is that really that's the first thing you did <laughs> pretty much was that instrumental oh uh, yeah i wanted i wanted to make money we were i, I didn't make that much money in the band so you leave Warbringer, <laughs> and the first thing you do is you get a job at a guitar shop pretty much that's yeah. awesome what, what was the mindset there was it just like a money uh, thing was it like well, i want i wanted a job but i loved 
guitars and I love music and I just wanted I still wanted to be around it I didn't want to turn away from music and it just looked like why not why not sell guitars guitars are cool <laughs> so why not teaching or like studio work or uh, any of that stuff I, I'd love to teach but um, I wanted to go to school so all okay. the while I was working I was going to school right on man yeah and then in the last year I, I stopped working and I've doing I've been doing uh, college full-time wow in my last couple of quarters of that dude that's rock and roll I love that. It's just like, well, I like this stuff. And you, you know what's crazy is you know way too much about everything. You're one of the most knowledgeable people <laughs> I've ever met. Like I used to walk – when you were working, I used to walk in and point at things and be like, hey, that. Like, well, what, what, how does this work? And you would break it down. I don't even think if you remember, but you used to break the stuff down. I was like, what? Yeah, I'm a nerd and I love that crap. So. I, I, Yeah, I, <laughs> I love having people around like you that know all this stuff because it fascinates me so much. Yeah. I just like for some reason like – you know people are just bad at math. Some people just don't pick up on math. See, I know what you mean, but yeah. I don't think that's true. I okay, think they had bad ahead. math teachers. Maybe that's it, yeah. Uh, honestly, uh, but go on. No, no, no. I, I, I totally agree, but like very much like all this like uh, ele- technique, uh, technical stuff with you know, so wiring and the yeah. voltages and the amps. and the, I mean, I've been playing guitar for 20 years. Yeah, almost 21 years. Dude, I barely know all the pa- what all the names of the parts on it, you know, like Yeah. And I I've, I've just had I've always had such a hard time like understanding what all this is and like knowing how it works. Yeah. Like, you know, if someone came to me and said, "Hi, design the perfect amplifier or the perfect guitar." I'd be like, "I don't even know where to start." I mean, there's guys that don't even put together their drum sets, like the guy from Dream Theater. I remember reading that he hasn't put a drum set together since high school, and I thought that was pathetic, you know. Yeah. I, I like knowing how things work. I like I like setting up my own rig. I like knowing how everything was plugged in. Yeah, because if something goes wrong, I know what's wrong with it, and I had to learn that stuff because I had to know how to fix this shit. Or, I you guess know, it was a necessity. It, thing, it was huh? a nece- for me. It was. I felt like it was. Someone had to do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, like, it's not like I haven't <laughs> tried it, but maybe it's just I haven't. Been, I haven't had to know. Yeah, then that's okay. But I, I just like I'm fast. I love that stuff. Well, you know it, what you love though. I'm sure you'd have a difference between all your guitars. You know, you oh, know yeah. the differences between your two guitar amps you have in there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So that's all that matters. That's what's important. That's what you need to know. <laughs> it is yeah, but it, it is it is always fun. I remember I, I was talking to the guy who runs LA Sound Design. He's like, okay. um, right in Burbank there. Yeah, and I, I was back there, and they were he was showing this pedal from some other company. Um, I'm looking around at the, the floor, and it's just it's just have you have you been in his little shop? Mm-mm. It's literally just like this back shed that's just a floor covered in pedals and amps. And like, and it's it's great because that's and exactly what are they specializing. It's just a one guy. He designs pedal boards. He designs pedals. Oh, okay. He's like he's like the master, okay, okay. You know, LA sound design cool. guy. Cool. And he's really really cool guy, and he's very very knowledgeable. But I remember walking in, I was like, dude, what does any of this do? Like, that's a drive pedal. That's a boost pedal. That's a drive pedal. That's a boost pedal. Like, I guess plug them all in. I guess I could try to tell you what's going on. But, but hey, there's a lot of pros that are like that. They just know how to play, and that's all. That's all they need to do. Yeah. And they'll hire someone else to take care of that for, and that's cool. You know. And, and I'm glad that there's people like that. But I've always been so because when they talk about it, I'm like, that is so cool. That's like cooler than someone talking about like they're shredding solo for me. You know. Yeah. To yeah. see the the source of it all is always yeah. so exciting for yeah, me. Yeah. Absolutely. Someday I'm gonna grasp it. Someday. I'm gonna get super nerdy with it, but yeah, I've always I've always loved that about you. It's like the it's just so much fun. Like, hey, John, what's that? <laughs> I'm sure you, you know more than you're letting on. Give yourself some credit. You know, I mean, look how you put all this together. This is great. Yeah, and you learn by doing it. You have to have the stuff in your hands. Yeah, that's so, and that, very, it very takes true. time to you know get your hands on all this stuff. Yeah, it, it <laughs> takes it takes time. A lot of trade ins. Like, do I really need this? Can I sell this? <laughs> I've been doing that my whole life. Yeah. <laughs> 
It's because it's like we have this equipment that's worth so much, and I could get like we think is worth so much because we you know we gave so much to get it, and then when it comes time to you know push to shove or whatever it is, it's like oh man, this is a big deal. What do I do? What do I do? Do yeah. I trade this mic in for this? I mean, I got these mics by trading in a guitar. So. Yeah, I I sold a car to buy a guitar. Wow, you went the other way on it. I like it. <laughs> that's awesome. I love that. I sold a car to buy a guitar. Yeah. Worth it. Yeah. Totally worth it. Which guitar? Oh, it was a Martin D18. Ooh. But I sold that to buy another Martin. Okay, so what was the wood on the D18? Oh, that's mahogany. Yeah. So then you sold that to get what Martin? A fancier one. A fancier one. Yeah. It's funny. My favorite Martin is my cheapest one. Yeah, I know. Uh, actually, I, I I like small body guitars now. But yeah, again, you have to get it under your fingers and find out what's actually right for you. Yeah. You know? It's true. Yeah. That's a, uh, I love that. Yeah. Nice little nerd out session. So after, so you join, you uh, get a job at the guitar shop, you start selling guitars, doing a great job with that. To go from Warbringer and all this heavy metal, what was your first like project, music project after that? Oh, um, so I, I filled in for a band that my brother played bass in and I didn't really care about the bass. And these kids at the show saw me. Um, it was Ross and Karina. And um, they had a band called Grapevine that they were trying to start. And I didn't know that I wanted to join another band. I, I thought I was kind of over that for at least yeah. the time being, especially playing bass. <laughs> um, and, and they were very green. It was like their first serious band. But there was something special about the way they wrote music together. They could, Karina was a good singer, and Ross was writing these cool little like pop riffs, kind of yeah. like garage or 50s kind of riffs. And I found out I really loved playing the bass, and I learned to appreciate the bass. And that's what I, I got to grow so much after the band. I found out the bass makes everything sexy. Oh, hell yeah. You know, and it's so hell fun yeah. to be that guy. I, I, I ended up falling in love with the bass, and now I really? play bass a little bit, you know? Um, and that would have never happened otherwise. <laughs> that's so cool. Do you still play with them? Oh, yeah, we still play. Yeah, we've, we've done three records, um, and it's just been amazing watching them grow. It's, you that's know, awesome. I'm, I think everyone's really proud of the third record we did. It sounds a lot different than the previous records. And we went and recorded it in, like, uh, two days. Two days. Yeah. That's and, amazing. And we had an amazing guy uh, working with us to mix it and master it. He did a great job. So have you have you continued to like work on independent projects or has it just been kind of like school and that thing? Uh, school's been killing me, but it's fun too. I like being challenged, yeah. but it's been taking time away from music, which is kind of hard for me to accept. But, you know, I mean, it's just kind of how life goes sometimes. But I'm still very busy. Um, I'm starting a hardcore band just for fun. <laughs> I haven't played anything heavy in a while and... It's time. I heard some stuff. I'm like, I could do this. I could do that better. I'm better than that. (laughs) (laughs) So it's a, it's competition is actually something that drove the band a lot. Even competition between me and the other guitar player. That's how we grew. Which funny is is so many stories of that being an issue, right? Like, you know, fighting over the, the, the limelight or the, you know, it's a healthy balance, you know, and we, we would share that, but it's, it's something that it is a, you know, it pushes, it it puts a fire under your butt. Yeah. That's, that's something that always pisses me off and makes me do something. I could do it better than that. So I'll go and do it. <laughs> lot, well, I think that's a great idea. Because, I mean, h- how many times are people discouraged when they see something that's challenging their level of skill in anything, right? Like, oh, man. Yeah. Like, But we grow from challenges. I like to be challenged. And that's why I'm always trying to push myself. So. Hell yeah. Yeah. And then, I think um, that's a really hard thing to do as, as creative people in general. You yeah. Know, it's very hard to... One, it's hard to take criticism, you know, or at least learn the proper way to take criticism. And then two, to have someone challenge what we're doing with what we're doing. Yeah. You know, that's, that's a, it's almost like we make it out to be this hard pill to swallow, but it's just, it's not that at all. It's just like someone else doing something like, Hey, they're doing that and it's better than what I'm doing. Like I need to practice. How, how do I get better. there? Yeah. How do I do that? Yeah. You know, how do I, how do I get to that level? Yeah. Cause I mean, some people are freaks. <laughs> 
there's definitely some guitar players out that are freaks i had to accept that a long time ago like i'm like i'm happy with where i'm at i'm gonna keep working at it yeah i don't need to go there i'm never gonna be in ray <laughs> Wellmstein. i'm never gonna be you know steve Vai with all this crazy you don't need to be though you know you you just need to be yourself yeah you know you just need to be yourself and find your own voice because that's what they did and that's that's what makes them who they are absolutely that's that's a huge thing that we forget i think it's a huge thing you know all these guys you look up to all these you know just amazing musicians amazing artists anybody like they just listened to themselves and wanted to be their best self and that's what came out you know the technique the practicing that kind of becomes just easy fun work when you really just want to show what you've got and uh, I wish I wish that was more it was more the attitude like you should teach a master class on how to be healthy in music, <laughs> how, to, how to take a healthy approach to you know loving music. That's I would lo- pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> you have your first student right here. <laughs> Do it, damn it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a balancing act. Yeah, it's a balancing act. I love that. So, so you think so you grew a lot after you yeah. left. Now during your uh, time in the band looking back now that you're out of it you know with that perspective do you think that you grew as a person or or grew more as a person in the studio on stage on the on tour like what what part of that whole process was the most uh growth oriented i I don't think any single experience was more important than another one we're, we're made up of like all of our experiences that we experience over a lifetime um so i'm, I'm not sure i know how to answer that that's fine i mean that's, that's, I, that's I, fine it's yeah. just it's just it's every damn mistake i've ever made you know um just try not to make that mistake again well because like, i i think it's more for me what i'm saying is you know as a guitar player i grow as a guitar player when i record because it's, oh, it's, it's, it's a high demanding right yeah i mean the, but the, the, as a person it's different right like so yeah I, for me, like, I don't know. I've never been on tour, but I can, I mean, I can make the assumption that maybe being on the tour bus with say, people close by, you know, in close quarters with these people all the time might be where I need to, where might uh, ignite the most growth because I'm forced to. Yeah, I mean, I, that was definitely the trial by fire. Um, I grew so much as a musician after being on the road with professional musicians. I had to play on that level. I had to be able to hit a certain bar every night, night after night. Sorry. You're good. So, yeah. And, but then in the studio, we had this crazy produ- producer on the third and fourth record, uh, Steve Evitt. Did, like, Sepultura. He's worked on the Cure records. A lot of, like, um, big New Jersey records, like Story of the Year or something. But, uh, I mean, his, oh, and Dillinger Escape Plan. Have you oh, ever wow. familiar with them? Oh, yeah. Okay. The guy would make it. me punch, like, he would give me, like, a second to punch something in. You know? And, and he would, he would like, just chop the ever-loving shit out of something. And it, it was so crazy how sharp his ears were. Like, your hand moved an inch. Keep your hand. You know, like... Just, just like really, yeah, it was nuts, you know, and like, and he was from New Jersey, so he'd get pissed really easy, and I didn't oh want to piss him off because I loved him and I wanted him to like me, you know. So I, I, I just, I, I, I eventually I murdered it. I got he really like, he pushed you where you needed to be. Yeah, because I didn't want to chop the stuff up. I wanted to play it all the way through. Yeah, yeah, that's how I record. Yeah, one like start to finish. But uh, you know, just what what he was hearing, I didn't I didn't even know how to hear things like that. That's crazy. Like kind of like a level of consistency that I didn't, you know. I was so there's a lot of a lot of knowledge gained then. It just just yeah, the levels of awareness, you know. Yeah. Wow. Damn, we could hear that. Yeah, you could hear if your hand moved. Moved. I mean, because like when you're when you're chugging the strings, if you're right on the bridge, it's really tight. It, it's like because it's um, you know, and the further up you go with if you're palm muting, the more yeah. it chokes out, and it could get like so it could be nice like boom, or it could be like a boom. 
And he um, would hear that. Because well, it depended on the part, but everything, yeah, to get everything locked up, to make everything heavy, yeah. Interesting. So I, it's, so there was, what I'm hearing is there was a lot of like you wanting to live up to what you were surrounded by. Yeah, what the goals I set for myself, you know? Interesting. Um, and it's, part of that too is like being heavy is, has nothing to do with tuning down. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, it's, it's about like rhythm and timing and, yeah. like, and the groove and how well everything syncs up with that. Yeah, I think that's a very misunderstood thing. Too. Yeah, like, so you there, there, it's an awareness with that, you know, whenever locking in. So I wonder, do you think that's something we should all try to do in our personal environments, like me in my studio here, right, or someone in their bedroom or they're in their, their own space, their own art studio, whatever it is? Do you think we need to set up environments that make us want to live up to certain expectations? You know, because like if you're if you're playing and you know that guy is recording you, you want to all of a sudden you want to be a better guitar player. You want to live up to that, you know, live up to that level that he expects, right? Mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily a negative thing. It's a good expectation because it pushes you to be better. Mm-hmm. And there's definitely those. There's definitely good expectations. Do you think we need to find independently by ourselves a way to make our environments or set goals that have enough, like have expectations that are high enough that force us to be better? Yeah, uh, my my point of setting goals is not something that you've done before. Something new. That's yeah, very wise. I like that's kind of that's very yeah. wise. <laughs> it, it's one, once again, it seems very <laughs> obvious, but you know, like setting goals, like oh, I'm setting this goal. This is something I've done before. I, can I think do we're, we're modifying as we talk about it. Yeah, I think we're modifying what yeah. the advice would be. But yeah, yeah, try to do something new. That's Absolutely, cool. I like that. Yeah. I've never thought about it because it's so hard to create that environment for yourself without roasting yourself, you know, setting such high expectations for yourself. Well, I mean, I've done, I've, I put out so many songs that are, are terrible. When I was learning how to use a DAW, oh, uh, or when I was learning how to sing, or when I was learning how to use synthesizers, I, I would try writing songs without touching a guitar, you know, so just, and like, I sucked at it. It sounds horrible. Yeah. But, um, you know, I've done that like 30 or 40 times, little mistakes. So it's a bit better now, you know? But see, that's a perfect example. Like, you put yourself in an environment to rise to the occasion. Like, you took the guitar. Like, you're comfortable with the guitar. You take it out of the mix, and now you're forced to do something that you've always, you know, quote-unquote, done so well, but you don't have your number one tool. Yeah. So, like, that's that's one of those. That's a perfect example. Like, that's a great environment to put yourself into, you know, to force yourself to grow. Yeah. Like, I think we need to find more. And, uh, I mean... I'm going to be on the search to find more examples of like situations that we can give ourselves almost like self-testing, <laughs> you know, want yeah. to keep things interesting. You know? Yeah. But, uh, cause I, it's funny. I, I get excited sometimes, you know, when things come along or it's like, what if I just didn't play guitar? What if I just, you know, use the MIDI keyboard and made some sounds and made a song? It's like, healthy sometimes. It's exciting. Yeah. And, well, and the, you get so stuck in your patterns that, you know, on the guitar, Yeah, it's, it's really like, uh, it feels great to break out of that. And it's so that all the musical stuff's taken through your brain, but it's like new sound. But yeah, but it's a different process or different way of approaching that. It's a great feeling. That. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a personal question, at least a question that comes from me personally. Okay. Uh, in the sense of like, I really want to know, do you have a secret technique, uh, advice on how to record heavy guitars? What's what is the best way to record heavy guitars? This is this is this is a hard question. This is a lot of people have answered this differently, and I've tried a lot of things, and I've I think this is a very difficult thing to record. Yeah, it, it depends on how you want to record the heavy guitars. We're miking the amp. Uh, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See. <laughs> um. Do you think it's more in the mic placement, or is it more in the mixing and editing after for heavy guitars? I would say that you you need less gain than you think you do, um, which is surprising. Uh, it has a lot to do with mic placement, but it has the most to do with how you play. 
Well, yeah. I, I, I mean, honestly, though, like, because uh, you could put guitar players on the same rig and they'll sound totally different. Yeah. And I've seen people with, like, the cheapest, crappiest gear and they sound fucking amazing. Yeah. Um, it has a lot to do with how you play. When I was talking about, like, the, getting the timing right to make something sound heavy, that's what makes it heavy, you know? It's right on the... And, and you have good taste. You'll, you'll, you listen to the records you like. You know what a good guitar yeah. sounds like. You know what a shitty guitar sounds like. Yeah. I mean, you know, like, I mean, I've done so many shows where they just throw an SM57 up on the amp, you know? Um, you, you learn, but you put it right on the cone. It's going to sound too bright as you take it off the axis of the cone. It mm-hmm. gets a little bit darker. It's a taste thing. It depends on the room. I use a uh, I use a drum tom mic and a 57 to mic my amp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mixing two mics is great. There's there's a lot of crazy tricks where they, what they do is they take a really shitty mixer, like a Behringer mixer or a Mackie mixer. The huge producers will do this. Maybe you've seen this video, but they put the two mics and they sum them on one mixer so it goes into the interface as one input, but it's two mics. Oh, so you, I you, you, try you commit that. to balancing with two microphones before you even go in your computer. Because if you have two tracks in your computer, you might do something weird or you're never going to commit to it. When you're recording, the best thing to do is to, to get it to get it to sound as close as to what you want it to be when you're recording it, when you're performing it. Because if you think you're just going to ma- manipulate everything later, you're not going to be happy with it. You shouldn't have to go on and fuck with the EQ to high heaven to make the guitar sound like how it was supposed to sound in the first place. Oh, yeah. I'm very against a lot. I'm not against it. I'd, I mean, I even mean, with my acoustic, like oh, everything I record, like I'm recording my sound. Like that should be so flawless. There should be barely yeah. editing. I mean, EQ that. is a wonderful tool. Oh, I can tell you something fucking hilarious. Um, do you know Arch Enemy, Michael Lamont, Carcass? Mm-mm. Really famous uh, death metal guitar player. It's a huge band in Europe. He's one of my favorite guitar players. He has an amazing guitar tone. And I remember um, I was sitting next to the sound guy, and my drummer was asking him, like, hey, how do you, uh, like, how do you mix the, the live band? You know, he had a huge console, and we're always interested in learning stuff like this. And he's like, well, see, see, see Michael up there, you know? And Michael's, like, checking his guitar. This is what he thinks he sounds like, and he throws it up. And I'm like, oh, it's so badass. There's so much bass, so much low end. You know, it's all scooped and chunky. Like, yeah. Ugh. You know, and he's like, yeah, this is what he actually sounds like. And he just fucking cut off everything under 100 hertz, 120 hertz. I mean, it was gone, you oh know? And I'm like, what did you do? But the, the point is, is that in, the li- in a live room, in a live building, if you want the bass guitar or the drums to sound heavy, you want those things to come through. You know, the low end of the guitar has got to go. And, and I always wow. I always put more low end on my guitar because I thought it sounded cool, but I'm getting in the way of the bass and the drum. And that's gonna, like a mixing thing. Then, and huh? that's going to make the guitar heavy is being able to hear the bass and the, the yeah, you know. Interesting. So wow. it's not, it's, that's I give wild. you a lot. I give you a mouthful. No, I really love that. I love that. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the kind of stuff. I mean, dude, how many of us, young boys and girls getting their first amp and their first microphone and their first DAW as the years go on. You know, we were all there. It, it, it add, the equipment adds up, and we finally get to the place where we can record our guitar track. You know, we put that SM57 in front of our amp, and we have no idea what we're supposed to be doing. I mean, I hate that mic, but it works. Yeah. No, and, I, and you shouldn't get so obsessed with the tools. I mean, I guess Van Halen, every drum like was recorded with a 57, and I never thought they had great drums, but... They did it. <laughs> Those Van Halen records sound great. It, so don't get so obsessed with the mics or what interface you're using, what gear you're using. It, it's about the performance in the end. You got to be able to play it. And, and there's so yeah. many records I love that the production's shit, and it doesn't matter because the songs are so good. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's a good point. I think uh, it's really easy to get super obsessed with the tech and the equipment. And it's fun. Like, I love, I love, there's nothing like having good equipment. It's really, makes things really convenient. But at the end of the day, if you can't pull it off, you can't pull it off. I mean, that's something that I had learned to become aware of. I used to always tell myself, like, oh, if I get, when I get this piece of gear, like, I'll be able to do it, you know? 
you know, I mean, you have everything you need right here. I have everything I need. need, Exactly. And it's just trying to be like, you know, like just you have what you need. There's no excuse not to go out and make something today. Honestly, the, the, I think my favorite part about having gear is all the crazy random shit I can come up with. Yeah. But at the end of the day, like I don't need it all. Like when I, I, so I'm I'm doing, you know, I'm recording guitar tracks and I want to do, I I record start to finish like one take. Yeah. Like I have to get the take because that's, that's how I, that's my performance. I want that to be the, that want that to be the kind of essence of the record, right? Yeah. So I'm like, okay, well, I don't want one guitar track. I, I mean, I, I don't want it to sound like really thin. So I did. I got all these microphones I've accumulated over the years and just placed them all over the place. Oh, see, but okay. Are you aware that if you have multiple microphones on one source, you're gonna get into a world of phasing pain? Oh yeah, no, no. Yeah. Okay. I have. I have. It's uh, gonna sound thinner than shit. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. So I, I have. I have my pencil mic over on the perspective. You know, the player's perspective, really high. Is this up. for the acoustic guitar? Yeah, it's for my acoustic guitar. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, okay. Up here, and I have a. I have the big old Genesis that red mic. I don't know if you saw it. Yeah. That's like that right is. on the twelfth yeah. fret, and then I have uh, two MXLs, one kind of right on the body, and that's one too right, much. right on there. It actually doesn't sound bad. Okay, that's great, and I'm glad it works for you. <laughs> but I was, yeah, no, I, and, I, I've had issues. And you have all the distance. You, you make sure everything's measured off. Well, not measured off, but I, I mean, I'm pretty, but, to th- but you see that doesn't with all those microphones and all those reflections and all those angles, you're, you're asking for so much. And I know you want to make the guitar sound huge, but try to do it with just two mics. You can make an acoustic guitar sound phenomenal. Oh, well, with two mics. well, see my normal setup, what I usually do before this, what I usually do is I put the, the pencil and the big Genesis, like almost right next to each other just yeah. to get those two mics right at the 12th fret. Yeah. And that sounds crispy. Yeah. But I, w- I would have one on the bridge and one on the 12th fret. So you have a difference, but but actually I would just use a ribbon microphone because a ribbon microphone has a figure eight pattern so it gets the reflections of the room and what's in front of it oh okay um, that's one microphone and I'm gonna get like a semi stereo image yeah I always try to make things easier for myself and so much of learning about recording has been like you really just throw mics at things and find out if it works or just, not yeah it's true it's true I love that <laughs> and that's how you learn doing it and but that's what I mean like <laughs> having like having all this extra equipment has become just kind of like an experiment of just what is this gonna sound yeah, like yeah yeah but at the end of the day, it's like you really don't need all that much. I it's, mean, the best the best drum miking was uh, like the guy that did Led Zeppelin records. It's the Glenn Johns technique. Yeah. It's three mics. It's like one overhead, one on the kick, and then like one off the side. And they're all like, uh, I think like 21 inches away. It's like perfectly done. But it doesn't work for every drummer because the drummer has to be balanced. Well, yeah. I mean, Bonham hit him all so hard like that one. But, but he had a balanced approach though. Like he wouldn't just destroy a cymbal, you yeah. know? Um, so a lot of recording is like, yeah, it, you know, it depends on who's playing, how they're playing and, you know, trying to figure out like how to suit them in, in a given situation. Interesting. Um, but I just try to keep things simple and, yeah. I, and I think that works. <laughs> no, I love that. I think, uh, I think there's, there's, it's, it's such a, such a rabbit hole that we can, you know, it's fun to experiment. I, I encourage everyone to experiment, to discover more sounds. Like some of the, the best, edu- one of the best educations I've ever had is playing with microphones. Yeah, it's fun. Against to like going from like a heavy metal amp like the Mark V to, you know, playing different acoustic guitars and seeing how they respond. Like it's incredible. It's yeah. this awesome thing. But at the end of the day, you have to be able to play. Yeah. You have to do your stuff. Yeah. And, and you know, sometimes the biggest, richest acoustic guitar sound isn't the right song for a mix or the right yeah. sound for a mix. Yeah. So, I've had to uh, re-record a few guitars. And that's the thing guitars. with the heavy guitar. You think that you want to make it so huge. It doesn't need every frequency. You know, <laughs> you, know? you got like, to give everything in that piece a place. Well, that's such an interesting, once again, one of those obvious things. That's, oh, wait, if I take out the low end of the... Uh, oh, it the, took me 10 years to figure that out. That's, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like, like, but when you realize, you're like, oh, yeah, I guess that makes sense, right? Yeah. Like my low end of my guitar is fighting the fre- same frequency as the bass. That would make it heavy, yeah. Like Because that's what the bass is supposed to do. Yeah. Didn't we say that bass makes things sexy? Yeah. yeah. Bass, uh, even yeah. in the heavy stuff, makes it sexy. So yeah. uh, before we go, 
Okay. I ask all my guests this. Um, if you had to give advice, now take it, say a kid that's 17, they have a kick-ass band. In your situation, if you could okay. go back and give yourself advice, but what kind of thing, the idea of all these, anybody that's that, you know, the teenager, late teens, starting a band that they're starting to get recognition, things are starting to pick up, what would be your advice to them? Oh, that's interesting. What do I wish I heard? What do I wish I heard? That's, that's good. good lyric <sighs> I don't know. There. I made so many mistakes. <laughs> Um, I mean, but and I, I got I got in some pretty dark places, honestly. I was just kind of depressed sometimes, even when I was out there. Um, but just uh, I don't know. Just, just do your best. Keep your chin up. <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't sound great, but um, just put yourself out there and you know, be, be driven, be motivated. Love what you do. If you don't love what you're doing, you're not doing the right thing. Yeah. Um, and just try to find what you love doing. And if you love playing guitar, keep playing. Keep writing. Any warning signs? Oh, uh, warnings. Yeah, don't fucking party. Uh, um, it, it like uh, you'll get sick. You know, you're out there to do a job. Um, and somebody, you know, I've, we were talking about like we don't like recording our friends sometimes, and I, I know what you're talking about because um, you know, I, I love doing it and I love making music with people and I love sharing it with people. And, and sometimes I get these people, but they they think they can't sing unless they're like off their ass, drunk, oh yeah, or high. And there's no one on this planet that performs better intoxicated. It's not true. Yeah, it's you know maybe you have a beer or two before you play on stage. You're not playing to the same level that you are in a room. It's okay to drink a bit if you want to loosen up. Yeah, I'm not saying don't have fun, but you're not going to play any better. You're going to be worse, and it, it, you have to. I agree. Be, be wary of those kind of activities because they're only going to hurt you. And you're not and I, not going to go on too long, but um, I thought I couldn't be creative unless I was like smoking when I was younger. I don't smoke weed anymore, you know. Yeah. Um, it, it, it wasn't true. You know, I was just as creative. I was more creative. I was more productive when I was, yeah, wasn't screwing around. It's kind of like accepting yourself. Yeah. Learning to deal with that. Yeah. 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 I like that. I appreciate yeah. it. I appreciate you coming on and sharing all this, man. I, yeah, uh, it was fun. I hope we can do this again. Dive into some, uh, more <laughs> stuff. Sure. <laughs> Don't act. I, you, no, you, I, you I enjoyed it. Yeah, I'm just surprised you don't want to talk to me anymore. Are you kidding? <laughs> Hell yeah. You, 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 you run deep, man. You don't realize. You run deep. Thanks, There's man. So much oh, good. you're very thoughtful, though, and it's, it was nice I talking to you. I appreciate it. Well, it's the first time we've talked for an hour. Yeah, it is. Isn't face it? to face, it's intimate. Yeah, it's intimate. <laughs> nice dark room, Leslie Lit. <laughs> well, John Locks, I, uh, I can't thank you enough. Thank so this you. This is awesome. Cool. Rock and roll. Right, right on. Peace. <laughs>